My name is Jerry Durattler and I served on the civil grand jury twice in addition to serving on C. Goldbach. I'm a retired CPA and former vice president of finance and chief accounting officer of a New York Stock Exchange company. I reviewed the two coming audit reports in detail and you have a summary of each report. The two coming audits reviewed 660 million of general obligation bond expenditures and the same three control weaknesses were found in both audits. The most serious control weakness is the lack of transparency in the process used to budget public works, internal labor, and non-labor cost. Accounting rules require the cost of project management, construction management, and design costs be capitalized, irrespective if the work is performed by outside firms or employees of an entity like the City of San Francisco. Cumming observed a $12.3 million DPW Bureau of Architecture labor charge to the public safety building that failed audit test one. It was unclear if the expenditure was in accordance with the ballot measure. Cumming also observed in the audit report, quote, there appears to be discrepancies in indirect cost rates being applied to direct labor that were not explainable by DPW, closed quote. Cumming observed the same control weaknesses in the second audit. Both audits found that project management, construction management, and design costs as a percentage of total project cost were higher than expected. In the ESER audit, design costs of 30.6 million were 16.1% of total construction cost. Cummings Cost Management Department opined that the design cost should be in the range of 8 to 10%. This means that design costs were 1.9 to 2.5 million more than ex expected. This is only design costs. In the road repaving and street safety bond audit, Cumming had a similar finding. Both audits also found poor documentation and internal control over the expenditure of pre-bond costs. How might Gobach respond to the audit findings? See, Gobach is responsible for the oversight of a city services auditor and is the Citizens Audit Review Board. I suggest that C. Gobach work with the CSA to revise the current CSA work plan to include a construction, to include a program to impose proper controls over DPW cost, charged to construction projects, and retain a firm like Cumming to develop project management, construction management, and design benchmarks for DPW construction projects. CSA budgeted operated expenditures can absorb this cost because the CSA routinely understand, underspends its annual budget by $3 million. I'm going to stop, but I have one more sentence, and you have it in front of you. Thank you. You know, you go ahead and read the sentence. <laughs> See, Gobach's response to the adverse audit findings need to be in your annual report. Thank you. Good morning, committee members. I'm Dr. Derek Curran. I'd like to use the overhead projector. Is that possible? My comment has to do with the CSA work plan methodology. Um,
I requested uh, information about the, uh, how the work plan is constructed, is, is developed. And um, as this overhead shows, um, it's driven by... Okay, so the work plan is driven by code requirements, risk analysis, unspecified. The mayor, the board, the leadership, uh, what the departments uh, require, and then bond and capital programs. My concern is that there's nothing here about public input or public concerns. Um, there are many employees they undergo staff surveys. Those surveys show problems in departments, but that isn't captured by CSA. Whistleblower complaints, public comments at meetings, are these captured by CSA to guide them in, in looking at uh, city issues? What about media reports, scandals in the media? What about court cases? <clears throat> so basically, this uh, methodology is all government-centric. It's government institutions telling each other what to look at. And I'm just not sure that public concerns, public input is being considered. Thank you very much. Other public comment? Well, hearing none, item number three, discussion, possible action. Well, go ahead. <laughs> Modification of the minutes of the September 22nd, 2016 meeting. So more... Uh, now that we have moved public comment to the beginning, there would no, this, that, would, that was the opportunity for the public to have commented on those. No. On any item each that they choose. But, oh, okay. But each item you will still do public comment. Uh, okay, I understand. All right. <clears throat> any, from the committee members, any corrections? Well, I'm sorry, I may, maybe missed it, but what was, is there a, there was a, a new a set of minutes. What is the modification? There was one modification pointed out to me on, hold on. Mrs. McNulty, can you help me? had to do with Rec and Park, um, and rec it, it, it's, it's on page three in the first paragraph, and your fr I did not clarify what FSP meant and the implication for the way Rec and Park would do uh, their reporting, and so it was a clarification in the first paragraph, the famous conversion currently underway, that sentence. Okay. Page three, item five, paragraph one. 
I think mine says F dollar sign P. Right. That's that should be an S. That that should that was not clear, and it was I was asked to clarify it. So the new the revised set of minutes you have has that clarification. There's it's not identified as FSP. The entire sentence from the project manager is is spelled out for you. Uh, may, may I make a comment? Uh, I believe that the set of minutes that we received in our packets are the latest version. No, what you have there is the most current version. This supersedes them more handed them out. So that's the one modification. Um, there's going to be an amendment. Oh, okay, yeah, I, I see the difference. It's fine. So just to clarify what you do what you need to do is to read that amendment of, <clears throat> of that little section into for the purposes of this meeting so that everybody knows what the amendment was. Yeah, I've I've read that and is is it time to make a motion? I mean I would I would move approval of the minutes as modified. Good morning, my name is Jerry Drattler. Um, there's some comments attributed to me with regard to the annual CSA work plan. I'd like to echo some of the comments Dr. Kerr made. Um, was the annual work plan presented in a GOBAC public meeting and formally approved in a voice vote by C. GOBAC? If this is not the case, how can C. GOBAC be exercising its oversight responsibility for the CSA if you're not approving the annual work plan. Thank you. Uh, I should, Ken Rue, Deputy City Attorney, I should just point out that um, that is within the, the committee's Discretion, you can choose to approve it or choose not to. It's sort of a policy call on your behalf. So if you want to approve it, by all means, that's something you can choose to do. I believe it's the case we've never approved it in the past. That's just past precedent and doesn't need to control you in the future. All right. Would this be the point for us as a committee to, to discuss that? No. Correct. You would want to agendize it as a separate item for the next meeting. Right. Okay. Um, any further public comment on the minutes? Then a motion to approve. Well, you want to repeat your motion? Yeah, yeah, I, I move to approve the uh, October 3rd, 2016 uh, minutes as a model. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? All right. Approved. Modified minutes approved as written. Yes. Item four, presentation from Public Works about the earthquake safety and emergency response bond program with possible action by the committee in response to such presentation. Good morning, commissioners. My name is Charles Aguirre. I'm the program manager for the ESER bond programs. 
uh, happy to be with you here this morning. Also, um, with me uh, accompanying uh, at this meeting are my project managers, uh, representing each one of the project components within both bonds. Um, typically, you may recall that each one of them would offer uh, a presentation within this presentation, but for the sake of expediency uh, and consistency perhaps as well, I'll be making the presentation and my um, fellow project managers will be responding to any particular question you might have. You'll also notice that uh, we have a new format uh, to our uh, slide presentation this morning. Um, we are following on the heels of a new formatting standard established that you would have seen with the streets uh, improvement bond program uh, a short while ago. Um, it's meant to impart to you more easily, uh, more legibly perhaps, uh, the level of information you seek. But of course, any interest you have in additional detail, uh, we're more than happy to provide. So without much further ado, one of the things I would say though that subsequent to sending this presentation to Ms. Lane, uh, for the record, we, we recognize some additional enhancements uh, that we could make to bring greater legibility uh, to the report and uh, we will be bringing that forward uh, to you in, in future reports. But uh, I'll speak to some of those as I go along here. So the cover sheet here is a summary of both bond programs and all the components uh, within each bond program. Um, it's probably useful to know that within Easter 2010, uh, the total budget is 416.2 million. And for Easter 2014, it's 400 million. Um, the city departments uh, that we are in service to include uh, police, fire, medical examiner, and the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission. Uh, this next slide is really a summary uh, of the, uh, the various points that we'll be making throughout this slide deck. So I won't belabor by repeating uh, here what I'll speak to in subsequent slides. The one uh, particular topic that I think I do want to highlight for you is uh, within uh, number four, risks, issues, or concerns on budget scope or schedule. Um, uh, you all know that uh, currently we are um, enjoying a very robust uh, construction and development market. Um, that's great for the city in so many particular ways, uh, but unfortunately for project sponsors, it poses a serious uh, challenge, uh, specifically to maintaining uh, the intent identified years ago with regard to scope and budget. And so uh, we are under some duress, quite frankly, to keep within our budgets um, without sacrificing too much of our functional or programmatic intent. Uh, so it's a chore, but it's one that's uh, not, not unknown to us and that we, we embrace fully. Uh, this next slide is a public safety building. This was the single largest project within ESCR 2010. It was um, completed, it was inaugurated for use in April of 2015 and has been in continuous um, successful operation since that date. Uh, we have been seeking to close out the project. Um, we've had some um, remaining permitting issues uh, that we've been working through and that are uh, imminent in their closure, which is to say in this month. So our, our closeout will occur, I believe, very shortly, having um, settled the, the matter of some outstanding permitting issues um, in very recent days even. Um, the project was 
um, budgeted at 236.1, as I said earlier, perhaps. Um, we're concluding it with about plus or minus a $9 million savings um, to be apportioned uh, according to the will of uh, the, the Capital Planning Committee, uh, Controller's Office, Office of Finance, Mayor's Office of Budget, uh, all involved with the disposition of those funds um, uh, in subsequent uh, weeks or perhaps months. So that project very successfully occupied and complete. <clears throat> Uh, the next uh, topic area I want to bring to your attention is the neighborhood fire stations. That was uh, budgeted uh, in 2010 at 66.9 million. Um, one of the things I do want to highlight here that is a change we'll be making in subsequent presentations is a representation of where we are in regard uh, to the total uh, budget. Um, currently you see there uh, the status of our allocated budget, which happens to be the full amount. In subsequent slides, you'll see that's not quite the same. Um, the remaining projects here are two, the Fire Station 5 and Fire Station 16. Uh, both are significant uh, projects in, in that they replace in their entirety the, the existing stations at both locations. Fire Station 5, of course, being in the Western Edition uh, on Turk and, Pol uh, Turk and Webster, rather, and uh, Fire Station 16, five being at Turk and Webster, 16 being uh, in Cal Hollow or the Marina, depending on your point of view, um, on, on um, um, Greenwich Street. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and so those, those are very large projects, and those are the ones that constitute the remaining uh, balance uh, to be uh, applied. Um, moving on to uh, Easter 2014 fire stations. Um, that total budget is 81.2 million. And to date, uh, we're working against a total of 23.8. Um, the, the sums for Easter 2014 uh, are, are realized against two bond sales. I'll be talking in more summary form about that at the end of this presentation. Uh, we have um, approximately 36 total projects indicated for Easter 2014. Um, and failed to mention on the previous slide, we had 76 under Easter 2010. Um, there's a reason for that, why, why that difference. Under Easter 2010, we accomplished a great uh, number of what we call focus scope or very specific alterations or improvements to um, about 22 stations. Um, under Easter 2014, we will address the balance of stations, which is to say approximately 20 stations. But within Easter 2014, we have one especially large project, and that is the fireboat station at uh, number 35. Um, it's the, um, the pier structure immediately behind the station house. Uh, that budget is 38, 39 million. So you can see it's a substantial portion of the bond, um, and that's why we don't have as many focus scope projects as we might. Um, that's the difference there. We're well underway, certainly, with all the work associated um, or identified with the NISER uh, neighborhood fire stations 2014. Um, continuing to do that focus scope work that's briefly described here, some very sort of key improvements that ensure the functionality of the, of the station and allow for the reliable deployment of personnel and apparatus when called upon. Uh, emergency firefighting water system uh, under ESER 2010 um, is uh, currently, let me refer to my notes here. Um, the budget is 102.4 million, of which all has been allocated under Easter 2010. Uh, variety of projects underway to um, 
repair, uh, rehabilitate, and in some cases expand upon the historic auxiliary water supply system. Um, the project manager, David Meyerson, is here and could speak to this more eloquently than I could uh, or can. The um, AWS resides within the EFWS, so if you want to ask that question of him, he'll be happy to explain that to you. Um, but a great amount of work has occurred thus far. Uh, cisterns, which are really pivotal towards improving uh, um, equity in regard to the availability of water for fire suppression, uh, is, is, is well underway or completed, 21 of 30 within the context of Easter 2010. So that, that's a very noteworthy accomplishment. And we will continue to do work certainly that relates to other backbone elements of the AWSS, pump stations one and two, um, respectively at the uh, fire department headquarters and at Aquatic Park are um, planned. Certainly pump station one is complete, pump station two uh, will be commencing uh, I think this year, if memory serves. Great. ESER, um, or I should say uh, emergency firefighting water system under ESER 2014 is um, budgeted at, um, sorry, let me <clears throat> pause here for a moment, at 54.1 million. Um, We're working against um, that total sum as well uh, in regard to the delivery of the project. Um, I'll speak to uh, how it is that these projects are not, oh, thank you, are um, not quite at the same percentage of expenditure as the others? I'm sure that's a question you have, uh, and I would ask uh, you to allow us to respond to that subsequently. But again, much of that work to plan for the most efficacious kind of improvements to the system is well underway. Um, pipeline work, which will constitute probably the lion's share of money spent overall in the delivery of this, um, of this project component, is, is, is occurring and is, is, is planned uh, to uh, continue further at new locations. And so, again, that's um, uh, a project, uh, which is to say the EFWSS within the sole uh, management of the PUC, um, differentiated from the other project components within ESER. Uh, police facilities. Police facilities. Um, its uh, total budget is $29.5 million uh, for the bond uh, to date. Uh, we have actuals an encumbered amount of about 17.1 million. Uh, police facilities, uh, not unlike neighborhood fire station, is attempting to address the most um, uh, apparent and significant uh, deficiencies at the stations uh, to, uh, in a sense, um, keep them whole and reliable in their operation. Um, I didn't mention this early on fire stations, but there's well over um, $700 million of need across 42-plus facilities for the fire station. For police, there's well, under, well over $250 million uh, in outstanding need for repair of police facilities. So we will continue to apply ourselves to that which is most important in regard to maintaining the operational efficiency and reliability of, of those um, first responders. Um, but again, most of the money for police facilities will be spent on these, these very precise and, and necessary focus scope improvements. The one outlier project that you would be interested in understanding, and I'll speak very briefly to it, is um, by virtue of you know, circumstances of recent time, the, the police department is uh, focused on improving um, its use of um, deadly force. Uh, so we have a, a, 
uh, simulator project that wasn't initially understood before the bond it had emerged subsequently that the department is is um, is, is very intent on realizing that what it will do and enhance the ability of officers to discern the proper use of deadly force. Um, and so without going into too much detail, it's very interesting, however, um, that is a project that was un unexpected but that emerged as a very important and necessary one uh, for the police department's um, purpose. And that's uh, budgeted at about 1.3 million, Lisa? 1.05, 1.05. So that was kind of a new, um, uh, need that emerged and so uh, not unlike uh, what we did with um, uh, Easter 2010 for neighborhood fire stations when we helped deliver the new firehouse at Treasure Island which was not an anticipated need at the time but very much was in line with a critical uh, uh, need that they had that emerged subsequently office of the chief medical examiner uh, budgeted at 66.2 and it has um, received that totality of funding to, through, the, through the first two sales of bonds for Easter 2014. Um, project is well underway. Um, topping off of steel was in August. Um, it's moving forward um, very, very nicely without any impediments or, or hindrances, knock on wood. Um, we are um, able to, uh, I'm able to say that. Um, traffic company and forensic services division. Uh, forensic services division uh, is known as crime lab, but crime lab is but a component. Uh, that's obviously the science side of forensic services, but there are also field services that are involved with forensic service. So what we're doing is marrying uh, the two separate facilities, one at Hunters Point Shipyard, the other at the Hall of Justice, bringing them together uh, for, first time for a very, very long time, which will ensure more reliable oversight and quality control in, in the delivery of forensic services for the city and county. Uh, traffic company are the motorcycle police officers, not parking control officers, even though they, they both have traffic-related duties. Um, as I said, 162.2 million is the budget for the project. Thus far, we're working uh, with 46.7 million. Uh, we're working through the first phase of design uh, which is schematic design. Uh, we have just recently completed that and are confronting a, a budget challenge, which we're working very closely with the police department and others in the city uh, to establish a strategy to, to get back to budget. Uh, the next slide is the status of our budget and financial plan for Easter 2010. And it'll depict there that um, we have, as I mentioned to you, sold all our bonds and have substantially spent certainly for the public safety building which is complete and I described to you what where we're at with the, the fire stations with the two remaining projects um, AWSS also uh, substantially working towards its uh, its its uh, its funding um, not much more to be said about that um, Easter 2014 obviously a little different we're just literally starting out um, we're a, a year and a half or so into the bond program um, with serious, if you will, expenditure and encumbrances. Um, as you can see, the percentages of what's been uh, applied to expenditures and appropriation is, is plus or minus um, according to where we are with the development of that work. That one element that, again, as I said, I want to step out and highlight because I know it's in, on, on your minds probably is 
how it is that uh, the neighborhood fire water firefighting water system is is at, at a single digit of uh, spending um, I think maybe that bears uh, enough importance to ask uh, the project manager David Meyerson to just briefly explain that to you Good morning, David Meyerson with San Francisco Public Utilities Commission. There are three categories of projects that I'd like to highlight for Easter 2014. Uh, we have four projects that are participating as a subset of a larger public works construction project. 19th Avenue, Irving Street, Ashbury Bypass, Columbus and Green. So, um, our execution schedule, our encumbrance schedule, and our expenditure schedule is dependent on the larger contracts that are being managed elsewhere. So we participate in those um, for proper coordination. So as those start to execute, the encumbrances and eventually the expenditures will increase. Um, one project is known as University Mound East, and there's a significant question uh, it's been on the table for several months with our operating group uh, from the City Distribution Division, and it regards cross-connection. Uh, that's <clears throat> protecting of the drinking water supply or the potable water supply uh, from any possible contamination. <clears throat> and there are different methods of obtaining proper cross-connection prevention. Uh, one is one that we are uh, looking at is called air gap, which is just like it sounds. You have a physical separation between uh, the two systems, and then you can use various uh, reduced pressure principal devices and so on, so it's a, a direct connection. And our city distribution division is, is very carefully evaluating those two options, and until they uh, render a decision, that project uh, is uh, stopped at the moment. So as soon as I get that decision, that project will proceed through the rest of design and into construction. And finally, um, a large portion of ESER 2014, which I think is in the 20 to $25 million range, is this flexible water supply system. And what that involves is packaged pump units and packaged hose units, 12-inch hose, uh, that can be deployed from uh, a water source and distribute water above ground laid out on the street after the event. So we've done a lot of research into how that works. Uh, what the operating characteristics are, all the logistics and so on. We've informed, again, our city distribution division and the fire department of what the ramifications are of this type of system. So they're currently considering whether to proceed with that system, and um, the, there are three locations that there, it's being considered. One is Sunset Reservoir, the next is uh, Lake Merced, and the third one is McLaren Park Tanks. So uh, we've presented uh, pertinent information, we continue to do so, and um, until we get a, a, a go-ahead direction to move forward on those projects, those will not be encumbered or expended against. So we're, we're working diligently towards that. Thank you, and I think with that, our presentation is complete. Set. I'm deaf. Okay. 
Yeah, well, that was what I was going to ask for next. Are you the liaison? Yes. The liaison. Robert. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah, as the liaison for the uh, Easter bonds, uh, again, uh, I did. We did have a pre-meeting, and uh, that was the first time I saw this new reporting format. And I really appreciate the fact that we're making that transition, and it's a lot less paper that I think uh, will serve this committee well. I think there's still some adjustments to this report that need to be made, as Charles referenced, and I do want to sit down with them fairly shortly and just confirm some of the nitpicks I have, and I think they're already working on some of them. Uh, but going through that report, a couple of questions. On page four, the neighborhood fire stations 2010, uh, it was mentioned that there were two big projects <coughs> remaining, fire station 16, fire station five, and I'm aware of that. But over on the comprehensive pie chart, it shows one project in planning, and so I was curious what that project was. I'm going to invite uh, Gabriella Jetzerelli to speak. Good morning, everyone. Um, to answer your question, the project that we have in planning is on our seismic list of projects. We have a small amount of money at Fire Station 9 for a utility isolation uh, project. Um, the reason why that project is just in planning now is at Fire Department direction, we're going to co-develop that with an Easter 2014 project um, I'm sorry, not Easter 2014, but another bond-funded project, which is the ambulance deployment facility out at uh, that same address. So we at, on Gerald Street at Fire Station 9. So they'll be co-developed, and for that reason, it's um, awaiting that proper development point. And so can you, uh, on that uh, same page up at the top right hand, mm -hmm. completion date for this fire station is December 2018. Will that project in planning be completed in, by 2018? That's a very good question, and I don't think that the project schedule for the construction is quite set for that other project. Um, it may involve, too, a transfer of this work to that larger project, um, which we could discuss as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Appreciate mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. And one of my nits will be putting page numbers on yeah. it. But uh, <clears throat> on the uh, – would I – Call my page six, the Emergency Firefighting Water System, ESER 2010. Again, uh, I think it's been addressed that there's been some uh, extended delays and schedules, and, and this is, again, this goes back six years ago, but it's, there's, again, one project in planning. I was just curious uh, what that project was. If you know, if not, we can get that later. Sure, again, David Marson. That is the AWSS existing pipeline uh, assessment, and it will stay in planning until it's completed. There is, there's a, there's a, uh, we did assign to that same project one pipe repair project at Fillmore and Haight that's under uh, construction now with Public Works. But the bulk of the work for, it's, uh, we refer to it as AW18, is a pipeline assessment. And it is a probabilistic analysis of the existing piping system as well as a field investigation using an electronic device known as SmartBall. And uh, that is the essence of what that project is. So it will be in planning until we hope we plan to produce our draft report in January 
and that will include recommendations on repair, replacement, and abandonment of the existing system. And then that'll get finalized, and essentially that's the end. There's another uh, planning component. It's a finite element analysis of the hydrant laterals that uh, broke in the Loma Prieta earthquake, and it's just a technical assessment of what the mechanics of that actual fracture is. So, so, so let me ask you again, this is an assessment uh, expenditures. There's no capital construction cost associated we, with this project? With the exception of the funding of the Fillmore and Haight uh, construction work, which was a sewer conflict that I was approached by other project managers to fund, uh, with that exception, the project is essentially a planning project. And when will it, you, you estimate it'll be, the assessment will, work will be completed? Uh, we plan to produce our draft report in January of 2017, and then whatever comments come in uh, from the operating groups and the public review, and then we'll finalize it in the few months the, following. The hope would be by the time we meet next, there won't be any projects in planning on this, I would guess. Um, I'm not sure when we meet next, but okay. yes. Um, let's see. Think, oh, uh, what I call my page 10, it's the Traffic Company and Forensic Services Division. When I was reviewing this page, uh, <clears throat> the current uh, $46.7 uh, a good amount of that has been allocated to what's called project control, site control, and then there's a certain amount on reserve, and again, what we don't see is any construction in the pie chart. And I think that's because uh, it's a $162.2 million project, not 46.7, which we're going to change. Correct. But my, my question when I saw this, I'm used to, you know, what we see in the other pie charts, planning, design, bid, construction. And here I saw project control, site control, and I was thinking, well, is there any design work that's been done? So maybe you could explain, Charles, a little bit what project control and site control are? Sure. Uh, first of all, the, the pie chart that uh, depicts these three components of project, so project and site control and reserve are what we were applying to one project bond components. For multiple project bond components, we went to a different pie chart. So I think one of the enhancements perhaps in the future presentation is we'll depict this information for those multiple project bond components. Uh, so that you get an understanding how the money, money is, is occurring comparably to how the single project money is occurring. In, so, the, fa in the fashion of construction, design, planning? Yeah, I mean, we definitely could, yeah, depict that as well. Um, the, I guess the question you have is what's within, uh, where does design reside? Um, project control is all that which is not construction related. So all of the engineering studies that are done uh, to prepare for the project, all of the architecture and engineering design services, um, all of the fees that are paid along the way uh, towards the development of the design and so forth. Uh, you know, it's a rather, obviously, multiple uh, item category. Uh, that's all what is within project control. Site control is effectively the acquisition of property if, in fact, we're acquiring property to realize the project. Okay, so we are, or we did buy $16.6 million worth of property on this. Correct. Okay, so that's... The, uh, the old Parisian ba so it's uh, bakery not really, site. It's purchase, it's not really con 
site purchase and not controlled. Well, we call it control, but it's, it's site acquisition. Okay. I mean, you can understand how that might be a bit confusing to people not in the business. We'll put parentheses uh, <laughs> acquisition. Uh, I mean, it's right. kind of a term we use typically throughout, but uh, we're happy to m make it more clear. Okay. So, again, just a couple more comments uh, in general from our pre-meeting. Again, we had uh, an hour allocated to the meeting, and that hour really took up a review of this new report, which I thought was really good and beneficial. Uh, but I was also told that in the past, be behind the summer reports, there, were, uh, there was a detailed quarterly report that gave uh, a great deal more information with regard to budget budgets and expenditures and uh, timelines and schedules. So the next time I do, and the, the liaison meeting is to really allow the liaison go a little deeper than what's on here. So I would ask that maybe next time we do meet, we allow up to two hours. Not ne we won't necessarily use it, but at least allow up to two hours for that meeting. And I would also uh, just ask in advance that I will like to see the detailed expenditure budget reports that was used in the previous quarterly reports and also the detailed timeline schedule reports uh, that were in those quarterly reports. And, uh, and again, like I say, maybe we can get together a little sooner and just go through a few things on this report and just confirm a little more how, how we want to make that liaison meeting maybe work a little better next time. But I really appreciate this new format. It's really fantastic. No, thank you for those comments. Thank you for making the time that morning to, to work with us uh, in understanding the new format. And def definitely, we have, as I said, this is a bit of a beta test. We yes. have some improvements we know we, we can and should make, and, and we will make those. And look forward to working with you to elaborate on that. All right. And then one other question I have, and we may want to address this now, or I know I think the controller's office is going to be reporting on the audit reports, but the ESER 2010 did go through one of the first uh, uh, expenditure audits for compliance with the um, bond authorization, the voter bond authorization. And I did read the report and was quite excited about the fact that the conclusion of the report is that Virtually all bond funds were spent in accordance with the, uh, and what I hadn't noticed are some points that had been brought out earlier in the public comment. And so what I'm guessing now is maybe those came out of a management letter as opposed to a audit report. And I haven't, I w have not been able, or I haven't seen the management letter, but I would ask, have you seen the management letter on that audit? Yes, in brief. And and what, has there been a response to the manager? No, we're we are preparing a response. Okay. Um, and we do expect that when we meet, we'll have a, a very productive conversation about our particular. Uh, okay, fantastic. Opinion on that letter. All right, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thank you. I had uh, one question, more of a clarification. Um, as I look at the cover page here under. Cost of issuance, under cost of issuance for ESER 2010, you have four, $4.0 million, which is consistent with this summary page further into the report. But if I look at the cost of issuance number for the ESER 2014, the cost is $6.8 million, which is way different than what we have for 
oversight, accountability, and cost of issuance for that. You have $2,328,000,000 on this page, mm -hmm. but the summary page has a number of $6.8 million. Um, allow me to introduce Car Carlos Colon, who is uh, an analyst with our ESER group. Hey, Carlos. Well, good morning. Uh, on the cover page, this is the summary for the entire bond sale total, whereas the page, uh, the second to last page that you're referring to, where it's only 2.23, uh, that's from the bond sales to date. So again, that's one of the things we will clarify in the next, I think on these re, re, summary reports here, there should be a total budget. Right, so for opposed, 24 This is just what's been appropriate, is sold and appropriated so far. So that, that 2.3 will grow to six when the rest of the bonds are sold. Correct. This is, this is only a portion of the. Oh. Okay. So that appropriation is going to grow. Just, yeah, it's just, that's just a portion of the 6.8. Okay. Well, and... Good morning. I'm Marissa Fernandez. Um, good morning. I'm Marissa Fernandez. The difference in the cost of issuance between 2010 and 2014 is the savings that we earned on the cost of issuance. As a result of combining our bond sales with other bond programs, we earn a savings of $2.9 million. Well, you're going to have this on a piece of paper that I got a little better. So to, um, this is Nadia Sisse, Director of the Office of Public Finance. The first page highlights the overview, 2000, ESA 2010, uh, actual dollars, So the, because we've sold all the bonds to date. ESA 2014 has um, an estimate of what the program would look like in the aggregate. So the second to last slide only focuses on the first sale to date, okay. and that number will grow. So right. we're not comparing cost of issuance between the two programs, but between the overview of the 2014 and the appropriation number. Okay. I don't know if that answers the question. So it'll become clearer later yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, may on. May I make a comment? Yeah. Um, it's appropriate that we're talking about the, the, the statistical tables because I do have a, a question or a request. Uh, first of all, uh, this is the first time we've seen this um, uh, kind of contracted form and supposed to contain all the salient information. And by far and large, I think it does. In one page, it actually shows the statistics that um, um, and and that. In, in some pictures and in the subsequent pie charts, some progress of where these projects are. Um, I, I draw your attention to the, the summary table that we're talking about. Um, the only, um, first of all, let my, don't let my, my upcoming comment um, retract from what is a, as a positive outcome, I think, because I'm not a liaison and just picking this up and reading this report. I get some sense on an overall basis of the two bonds and under the individual projects, you know, how we are doing. Um, the, the only question I have, and I think it might address um, uh, um, the chairman's question, is that um, 
if we had in those two statistical charts, in addition to the appropriation and the actuals, if you know, we're trained to think, you know, online, on time, on scope. So if we had a budgeted item, it would have answered um, the chairman's um, question because the, the budgeted amount for the cost issuance for 2014 covers the entire life of the bond, uh, the, the project, uh, and the actuals that have been spent to date would show that, you know, these are the actuals and we're just progressing along. So without um, discussing it here, since, you know, Charles, you're taking the lead to do this format for the rest of the departments in the project, is there any way we can incorporate um, the, the, the budgeted items um, in the, the statistical summary? Because it would get a sense that um, the budgeted item, and you have it very readily by projects, and you know, I'm holding to 2010, so this is towards the end of the life cycles of many of these. We, in addition to, we, we would be able to see how much originally was budgeted, and I know there are a number of budgeted, originally budgeted and then updated budgeted, but some original budgeted form that the project management working with, <coughs> so as the actuals come out, we get a sense of how well or how well we didn't do based on the original budget. I think that's the only other statistics that I would find very meaningful. But other than that, I think that if the rest of uh, the departments would come to this, it would be training this committee, and don't forget this committee only has a term limit of two years and a total four years, is that it would actually train all of us to read um, the project reports um, in, a, in a very concise manner and on, my suggestion is if when you do your annual report, you can attach other additional reports for other people to read. But the key is to once we hold this in our hand with the type of information and the format that's being presented, we have a good sense of how you know, the project's going along and it will give us enough information to satisfy ourselves or to ask for the questions. But um, I, I, I like the way you've done it, and congratulations on that. Thank you, Commissioner McNulty, for those comments. We will definitely work with Commissioner uh, Carlson on addressing some of these points you've made to provide that better or additional clarity. Well, I'm going to say we're, we're a little pressed for time, but there are a couple of things that I'm going to ask the liaison to ask you next time. Right. You know, that I, information that I'd like to see, but I don't want to use any more of our time here today talking about that specific kind of stuff. Okay. Um, any other questions? Kevin? I have a quick question, and thank you, Charles, for the report. Appreciate it very much. Uh, Easter 2010 valued at $416 million, <clears throat> cost of issuance $4 million. Easter 2014 valued at $400 million, uh, cost of issuance 6.8, and I think someone was speaking to that earlier, unless I misunderstood it. What would contribute to the increased cost of issuance for Easter 2014? Nadia Sissi, Director of the Office of Public Finance. Um, when we start, when we put together numbers for proposed ballot measures, we have to make assumptions on 
number of issuances to deliver the maximum amount not to exceed. So for the 2010, we had a higher number, but as we start selling bonds, we're able to pair them with other geo bonds. As a result, we're able to realize savings. For purposes of the 2014, we've only sold one series, and there's still a remaining balance. So that assumption is conservative. It assumes that you would issue ESA bonds by itself, and therefore assume all the cost of issuance for that issuance. So as we continue to issue debt, we may be in a position to realize savings over the life of the program. Thank you very much. I'd like to follow up on that question, if I may. Sure. Sure. Who receives the money for the issuance? Is that the underwriters or? Okay, it's a competitive process. It's underwriters, financial advisors, um, printing, um, bond cancel, um, rating agencies. So everything you need to deliver and facilitate the transaction documents for, to access capital markets. In your next report, maybe you could provide a little more detail on what goes into the costs. And it also includes the GOBOC fee as well. Be happy to do so. Thank you. All right. Other questions, comments from the committee? Hearing none, public comment. None. Right. Item five, presentation. Thank you, commissioners. Sorry, Charles. <laughs> Item five, presentation from the City Service Auditor, CSA, regarding the whistleblower report with possible action by the committee in response to such presentation. Good morning. My name is Steve Flaherty. I'm an audit manager with the City Services Auditor Audits Unit. I manage the city's whistleblower program. With me today is Jonathan Collum. He's an acting manager with the Audits Unit, and he's here because he's assuming some of the managerial duties of the whistleblower program. Tanya Ledeju, the director of City Audits, will also be speaking today about some of the whistleblower program's activities. Today's presentation is primarily an update on the whistleblower program's activities and initiatives through fiscal year 15-16. In advance of today's presentation, we met with our Gobaku liaison, Brenda Queen McNulty, last week. We've also had periodic meetings with our Gobaku liaisons, including Jennifer Warburg, uh, to keep them apprised of whistleblower program activities. The whistleblower program has issued a fiscal year 16-17 quarter one report that came out last week. Uh, we intend to discuss whistleblower program fiscal year 16-17 operations in greater detail at our next presentation before GOBAC. 
Just as a refresher, I'd like to go over today the authority for whistleblower program investigations. It's derived primarily from statute and regulation. There are three sections in particular. The first one is California Government Code, Section 53087.6. This empowers a city and county auditor controller to maintain a whistleblower program to receive information regarding allegations of fraud, waste, or abuse by local government employees. Campaign and Governmental Conduct Code, Article 4, and San Francisco Charter, Appendix F, uh, directs the controller as city services auditor to administer a whistleblower program and to investigate complaints. Charter Appendix F and Campaign of Governmental Conduct Code Article 4 task the controller's office with investigating and resolving four broad categories of complaints. Specifically, these categories are the misuse of city funds, improper activities by city officers and employees, deficiencies in the quality and delivery of government services, and wasteful and inefficient government practices. Campaign and Governmental Conduct Code and Charter Appendix F also mandate that the controller's office refer certain complaints. Those include complaints which another city department is required by federal, state, or local law to adjudicate, complaints which may be resolved through a grievance mechanism established by a collective bargaining unit or contract, complaints involving allegations of violations of criminal law, and complaints which are subject to existing ongoing investigations by the district attorney, city attorney, or ethics commission. Fraud hotlines, including the whistleblower program, are important and offer many benefits to organizations that have them. Fraud hotlines are critical internal controls that are noted as operating and credit rating strength when well implemented by municipality. The whistleblower program allows complaints to be submitted anonymously and confidentially. Whistleblower program investigations stop improper conduct and prevent further violations and reveal relevant facts so that management can make fully informed decisions on how to best proceed. To discuss fiscal year 15-16 complaint activity, we came into this fiscal year, or fiscal year 15-16, with 53 open complaints. During the year, we received 325 complaints, which is a 3% increase from the 316 complaints that the whistleblower program received the previous fiscal year. During that fiscal year, we closed 309 complaints. The majority of those complaints were closed within 90 days of their receipt. As a reminder, it's the goal of the whistleblower program to close 80% of the complaints that we receive within 90 days. At the conclusion of fiscal year 15-16, there were 69 open whistleblower complaints. So the 325 complaints that the whistleblower program received in fiscal year 15-16 represented a 3% increase from complaints received the previous fiscal year. Overall, the number of complaints the whistleblower program has received has increased, uh, now going back to fiscal year 12-13. Whistleblower complaint volume cannot be attributed to one single factor. There are multiple factors which can attribute the number of complaints that the whistleblower program receives. Uh, one of those factors is outreach campaigns, and so the controller's office in fiscal year 15-16 uh, used some different forms of outreach to make members of the public aware of the whistleblower program. And we'll discuss two of those outreach methods, uh, which include a video and fraud bulletins later in today's presentation. The increase in complaints received uh, looks like it's continuing into the first quarter of fiscal year 16-17. We've received 103 complaints in the first quarter of fiscal year 1617, and that's a 34% increase from the same reporting period the previous fiscal year. 
The majority of the complaints that come into the whistleblower program are received via our online web form, which also includes complaints filed via 311. Complainants have the option of filing a complaint via email, in-person, telephone, fax, and letter. These multiple intake channels ensure that whistleblower program is readily accessible to potential complainants and available to them in a manner which they are comfortable. 62% of the 325 complaints that were received in fiscal year 15-16 were anonymous. The whistleblower program takes anonymous complaints seriously, especially in the case of anonymous reporters. There may never be an opportunity to ask those individuals follow-up questions or, clar or clarifying questions. We, when we receive anonymous complaints, we post a tracking message to the anonymous complainant that they can access via a unique identifier, which is their case tracking number. They can then look up their complaint and see if the investigator is requesting additional information and call back and get in touch and provide the investigator the requested information. The whistleblower program closed 309 complaints in fiscal year 2015-16. Once the whistleblower program receives the complaints, it must be addressed and when necessary investigated. 72% or 221 of the 309 complaints closed were investigated either by the whistleblower program or in coordination with another city department. The whistleblower program has established processes and procedures to investigate complaints and all investigators are trained on proper investigation techniques. The whistleblower program's policies and procedures have been recognized in an independent audit by the city of San Jose noting the strength of these procedures uh, concerning impartiality in investigations and the criteria for launching investigations. When we receive a complaint, some of the complaints are referred to departments for investigation. When that's the case, we work closely with those departments to ensure that all the allegations are addressed and that a response is provided to the whistleblower program. The whistleblower program has issued guidance to department liaisons on how to, that coordinate whistleblower investigations on our behalf on how to investigate these complaints. The whistleblower program reviews the responses provided to the department to ensure that they're thorough and complete and that the complaint has been addressed. In addition to our annual report, this is the first year that we've done something like this, we included a table of complaints investigated and closed by departments. Uh, we listed departments with over 200 budgeted full-time employees. Uh, the chart complains the number of complaints investigated and closed by those departments. Uh, the percentage of those complaints as a, over the whistleblower program's total investigated and closed workload and then the percentage of budgeted FTE as a percentage of the total city employees. As I stated earlier, it's the goal of the whistleblower program to close complaints within 90 days of receipt. The whistleblower program understands it's important for complainants to feel that their concerns are important and are seriously considered. We make every such effort to complete investigations in a timely manner. We understand that if complaints aren't investigated in a timely manner, complainants may conclude that their allegations are not being taken seriously. In fiscal year 15-16, the whistleblower program closed 234 complaints, or 76% of all complaints that we received in 90 days or less. There are several factors that can influence the length of an investigation. These factors include the number of allegations contained within a complaint, the number of witnesses that we have to interview during the investigation, coordinating investigative efforts across multiple departments, and gathering documentation and other evidence from multiple sources. The whistleblower program as a central source for complaint intake ensures that systemic issues and risk trends are identified early and can be proactively addressed by city management. The whistleblower program investigations result in departments taking a wide variety of corrective and preventive actions. 
However, it's important to understand that it is the department's, not the whistleblower program, that decides what personnel action, if any, should be taken as a result of an investigation. Fiscal year 15-16, there were a total of 221 complaints investigated and closed. 81 of those, which is approximately 37%, led to a corrective or preventative action. Investi whistleblower program investigations resulted in a proposed termination of an employee who abused their supervisory authority, intimidated other, other employees, and engaged in a pervasive pattern of making disciplinary comments, discriminatory comments, excuse me. A 10-day suspension of an employee who participated in decisions involving family members, and the resignation of an employee who directed customers to use and make cash payments to a family member's business. The whistleblower program entered fiscal year 1617 with 69 open complaints. The majority of these complaints at 84% were open less than 90 days at the start of the fiscal year 1617. Hi, Tanya Lettishu, Director of Audits. So um, as we continue to move forward with our initiatives and our program, we work really, we work collaboratively together as a team to come up with innovative approaches, as well as benchmarking with other organizations and working under the leadership of the controller as well. And so what we have found and what we really understand in this industry is that as part of a way of ensuring that city employees are highly educated on what types of complaints to bring forward, what types of things to look at. One of the initiatives that we've put in place is publishing bulletins. So we've published three bulletins to educate employees on red flags associated with the costly occupational frauds of bid rigging, inventory theft, and payroll schemes. And so again, when Complaints understand the different types of red flags that are out there associated with their day -to -day, potential day-to-day -day work. It really assists them also in developing their complaint, which also helps us with the substantiation rate of complaints. And as we continue to move forward in this fiscal year, we'll uh, um, release, again, uh, at least three um, bulletins in helping educate the public as well as the city employees on what, are, what is fraud within our world. So we continue with our initiative with um, our fraud hotline um, workshops that we've been holding um, as well as the fact that we have decided to issue a whistleblower um, video and so our team collectively put this uh, worked with SFGov TV to put this video together and we'd like to share it with you real quick. Can you turn it up a little? You can blow the whistle by using our online complaint form, accessed through the whistleblower program's website, or by calling 415-701-2311 or 311 and stating that you wish to file a complaint with the controller's office. The whistleblower program also accepts complaints by email or in person at the controller's office. You can file a complaint anonymously 
So we launched this video um, March of 2016 and we've requested that all departments um, distribute this video to our existing employees and as well as incorporate the video in their new employee orientation program. And as I stated earlier, we continue with our initiative on um, webinars featuring different speakers from different cities and counties at state level as well who manage whistleblower programs. And what we have found through hosting these webinars since 2013, um, we've had really great feedback from these webinars and they've really been helpful to other um, government agencies as well. And we actually um, post all of our webinars on our website so they are available if you're interested. So our program continues to grow and our program has expanded its um, employees on staff. We now have currently six employees on staff in the whistleblower program. We have a multidisciplinary staff. They, the majority of our employees are all certified fraud examiners. We currently have two practicing attorneys on our team as well who have extensive experience in investigations um, that have currently um, recently come on to our team. And we continuously work with the city departments to improve our program, to improve the awareness of city staff. Um, and we are also listening to comments from our liaisons on CGOBOC, as well as we've heard um, different concerns brought up by the civil grand jury. And we've taken all of this data and information into consideration as we continue to move forward in our program. Thank you.
You're done then? Yes, we're okay. done. Okay, and any questions from the committee? Oh, I'm sorry. That's if I may, I, I'd like to make the liaison report. Um, uh, first of all, let me say that uh, uh, there are two uh, liaison members um, on this committee, uh, Jennifer Warbrook, who is not present here, um, but um, Jennifer and I collectively wrote the annual report on the program that's going to be part of our GOBOC annual report. Um, first of all, um, thank you to your whole staff. Um, for um, always responding to requests for meeting or requests for additional information. Um, first of all, just um, for, for the record, um, I know that it's been a while since uh, the whistleblower program made a formal presentation to this full committee. Um, it was due to rescheduling of meetings, et cetera, et cetera. So it's been quite a while. Um, despite that, I wanted to reassure um, the public that um, we and this committee take our tasks very seriously and we have regularly uh, met with uh, whistleblower program managers um, on a regular basis and um, at a minimum of uh, quarterly. It's almost every time they've had their quarterly report that we'd, we'd have a sit, sit in and chat and that's an opportunity for us to um, better understanding, better understand the report as well as an opportunity to pose questions um, to the staff. And as a result of these meetings and a result of interactions um, and the annual report, which is um, annual report and quarterly reports which are posted publicly on their website, um, I have a couple of comments to make. Um, first of all, um, I think that our main main task is to liaise with um, program managers, investigators, um, to make sure that they are carrying out the work of the whistleblower program according to the way it is written. A great deal of it has to do with process. So the presentation that was made um, is, is meant to educate uh, us and the public on how to make a complaint, et cetera. So by far and large, I think that they have done a very um, efficient job in administering the whistleblower program the way it is currently written. Um, so I thank uh, Tanya, you and your staff for that work. Um, the other thing I also wanted to highlight, um, it's just a, a statistic, is that um, they've, to be able to say that 75 you know, percent of the complaints are um, dealt with and, and handled in, in within 90 days. I guess in industry, you use that 90-day period to address and take care of <coughs> complaints, um, et cetera. So I think that's, um, they're doing good work, and I think that they've done it consistently. Um, the other thing I wanted to add to, Tanya was mentioning about the <laughs> webinar and the, and the YouTube, um, was I think that this current staff, um, in addition to just reacting to um, complaints which are reported, sent in, they have really taken a great deal of effort to outwardly reach out to both um, city employees. And when I, 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 I've listened to several, not all of the webinars, and I think this is a very cost-effective way 
for um, the whistleblower groom staff to share best practices um, across other jurisdictions and as well as con encouraging their employees and their staff to upgrade their investigative skills. Um, and like I said, it's an hour and you can, you know, you can even play it back um, after office hours. So I think that it shows that there is creativity on the, on the staff to think of other ways to educate. The YouTube is something new. Um, I've watched it and I think this is a concurrent or complements their other efforts primarily to reach out and make it easier for city departments um, to be educated that there is such a program and this is how to do it. And as I said earlier, and I, and I noted it in my, my last meeting, is that um, it shows the resolve, the professionalism, um, and the creativity on, on administering a program that is by far and large reactive because in many ways you are reacting to a waiting for, reacting to a complaint. And um, as you see in the statistics, um, uh, complainant, complaints come in all different forms and the better educated uh, the public and city employees are, the higher the quality of the complaint for it to be channeled through to fruition. So I really applaud this very small administrative staff for addressing both, not just the reactive aspect of their work, but a proactive way to try and educate so that the, you know, so that the number, not only to increase the number, but the quality of complaints that land on their laps. So uh, I think that is a very positive sign and I'm glad that they've um, been able to recruit new staff uh, because I know for most of the past fiscal year they've been pretty much understaffed and despite that they've done um, a, a very good work that is better if not um, compared to their work the year before. And uh, that's all the um, c comments I'd like to make. Um, in addition, um, I, I'd like to just remind, um, I guess, my committee members and the public that um, unlike bonds, um, the whistleblower program is covered under our um, oversight. However, it is not a bond, so there are less, how should I say, um, established um, metrics and numbers for us to deal with. But having said that, uh, the whistleblower program has a very stated process of how to invite, how to educate, and how to deal with a, a complaint once it is received. And once it has been closed, and, if, uh, and the other element that is not covered under um, this whistleblower program um, step under the controller's office is that um, is substantiation and this one area is in the purview of the ethics commission. You will see just one statistic that was prov provided that was not part of this staff department. Um, so this one area as everyone, know, everyone knows there is comment and discussion being um, held now 
uh, by the civil grand jury, the ethics commission, and the board of supervisors um, towards um, making more robust changes to this actual program. And these discussions are well underway. And if these discussions may well lead to changes in the actual, um, in the actual um, legislature that governs this program, um, I am sure that the staff um, and myself, the liaisons, will, will look forward to whatever these definitive outcomes are and then incorporate that into our work accordingly. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I just had a, a couple of quick questions. Uh, the, the report on investigated and closed by department, uh, I found uh, very uh, useful and interesting. I, I think you said this is the first time we've, you've done that, so I hope you do continue that. Uh, one question I had of all other departments, the ones under 200 employees, do you know approximately how many departments, is that like five departments or 20 departments? Uh, it's probably closer to 20 departments. We could certainly provide the statistics representing probably well under 3% uh, of the city's workforce would be my, the off the top of my head. Yeah, I, I was there. just curious because it seemed like a high number uh, but if it's a lot of departments and that, that so yeah. This is really the first time we've incorporated this um, criteria. It's actually in response to comments we've heard not only from uh, public comment at this program, but from GOBOC members themselves. Um, I don't, there's nothing magic necessarily about 200 and we'd be open no, to change over no, time. That's, that's fine. The, the criteria we're trying to balance just to be clear about it is we don't want the criteria to be drawn at a level that is so finite that simply knowing that a whistleblower filed in that department light might lead someone seeking to retaliate, provide information that might lead someone to be able to do that. And yeah. So that's, that's the line we're now, This looks good. I like, <clears throat> but just knowing in that. Uh, and then the other thing I think of it, as you track these, it'll be interesting, you know, I don't know if you're gonna maybe eventually put in the, the quarter, uh, second quarter third, uh, stats as you go along to compare with the prior and then you start right. then you can begin to see if maybe there's some departments who have high start to you know maybe decrease or go I don't know it might be interesting but I I really do appreciate the efforts you've, you've done here so we actually do we're able to track that data and it has also helped us to determine what kind of work we need to do potentially in departments. So prior to even publishing the data in the manner that we have, we've used the data to help us in other ways with our work. Well, and so that kind of somewhat leads to my second question. You know, in, in matters appropriate for investigation, you've got four or five categories there, and there's some been listed elsewhere. Do you track these complaints by the type at all because I was thinking that would also be interesting information for I think us to see if that doesn't violate some kind of uh, uh, confidentiality but no no we do and there's actually a couple of different disclosures on tables in the annual report which kind of summarize the complaints by type um, and so those that is tracking we do and it is monitoring that we do okay great and then just last, I, I really like the uh, bulletins. But just curious, uh, 
are they on your website or do they are do they actually publish them and they get put up as posters around depart how, how do they get to so they are on the website and we disseminate them to the departments and we ask that staff are availed to this information as well great and we'll continue with this practice as we are moving our program fantastic forward. thank you thank you i like the posters i, I just couldn't read them but, <laughs> okay but they're on a website yes sir and we can um, they're going to be on that wall now. Like. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, uh, a couple of points. I, I, I think it's great to have the department break down. It really helps a great deal. Uh, one thing I would uh, ask is if we could list departments that are not covered. Um, I think, for example, if the housing authority is not a covered department for whistleblower complaints or ones that are considered to be sort of state agencies but operated by the city, just for clarity so that people know that uh, if someone were at the Housing Authority were filing a complaint that they, they don't file it here, this is not a, a place where it takes place. Or District would be in Certainly. The, there, there must be a few of those like that. Uh, well, also, I wanted to take note of the increase that you've seen in uh, complaints in this last quarter. Do you attribute that to the outreach that you're doing? Uh, you're up to 103. It's a, it's a, it's a significant increase. So we can partially season? partially contribute it to that fact. However, there's many factors that we have we really don't have are privy to, but we could say perhaps the outreach does help. I, I see in your annual report, uh, you have the NavGov uh, benchmarks, uh, and it shows that uh, the percentage of substantiated complaints in San Francisco is lower than the. NavGov target number um, and so it may be that uh, that this is a that you're getting better complaints not just more complaints um, that they are more finely uh, targeted to what's appropriate and that's I, our I hope um, that's part of the outreach um, effort is to have better complaints meaning complainants understand what they are um, bringing forward and hopefully it's more complete and if it's not under the jurisdiction of the whistleblower program that potentially it's going to the right places such as you mentioned as the housing authority is not under our jurisdiction so if you have a housing authority employee where would they send that so right. forth and on school district employees is another example and we work with um, 311 with the hopes that when someone is um, bringing forth a verbal complaint that it's directed in to the right organization if it's not truly to our organization. Um, I know that uh, retaliation complaints go to the Ethics Commission and as your report noted, the annual report, uh, they've, they have never had a finding of a retaliation complaint being sustained. Um, and they are taking that issue forward, as you know, and as you made mention. As I understand, the, uh, the, the examination that started with the civil grand jury and went through ethics and is now at the board, and is a discussion elsewhere, uh, goes beyond retaliation to include such issues as who is eligible to file a complaint, uh, so that some complaints were dismissed, as I understand it, because uh, 
they didn't they were not covered under the whistleblower act as it existed up until now um, so that is something to look toward whether or not those rules and the authorizations in the legislation will change so when you say so just for clarification for everyone's <coughs> clarification as it relates to complaints that come to the whistleblower program um, our complaints aren't dismissed we follow those complaints all the way through and we send them to the right jurisdictions if they do not belong to us or we direct the complaint to those jurisdiction as it relates as you've stated um, to the ethics program and retaliation there's a direct firewall between our program and the ethics program and yes they are working currently to figure out what are the best ways to handle their program and we um, we're working with them as it relates to our part of the program and we don't manage anything that goes into their bucket if you will well for clarification can can a contract employee a contractor an employee and a contractor file a whistleblower complaint I'm sorry restate that please if I work for a contractor who's undertaking uh, work on a bond measure uh, and I find that the equipment and so forth is being misused and I want to file a whistleblower complaint against a contractor will you accept that complaint we will because you're working on our behalf anyone can file a complaint and we look well, at that complaint and we determine what needs to be done with that complaint so and I think if you accept the complaint I mean definitely we accept, accept we accept all complaints any complaint that comes through any of our funnels we take those complaints and we look at them and we review them and determine the next steps we're responsible to do so our charter is very broad the language it doesn't say fraud it talks about inefficient use so forth and on of government funds property so forth and on so we need we look at everything that comes through our door we don't dismiss anything that's interesting it would be helpful since everything that you put up there is about employees filing complaints to also note that contractors may file complaints okay that'll be fine um, again I, I'd like to say this again the issue that you're taking up is really separate and it and I think the larger picture of that that you're bringing forward is something that's in the works and being done, worked on collaboratively so as we move forward and guidance is provided through all of these funnels we'll see the changes that need to take place and we'll discuss them and ensure that our um, liaison understands them as we bring them forward as well and our work will reflect whatever those changes are I understand and our role is also as oversight to see that the program is meeting what the public expects and if the language and so forth falls short of what the public expects I think it's our responsibility to bring that to everyone's attention as well agreed in that spirit if you could also in your report include a dollar value of how much money was at issue in the investigations that you sustained it would be very helpful to the public to say we investigated whistleblower complaints and found one million dollars 
$100 million that was inappropriately spent and we've acted on it. It doesn't have to be by department. Certainly, we we do that when it's possible. When we have the, the when we have those types of issues brought forward and we're investigating those types of issues, we do that. I just in the annual report, I didn't see a total for the year. Potentially, if that's the case, there were no complaints that had dollar value associated with it. We're, we're up against the time limit here. Um, I know, Kevin, you've got a quick question. Let's. I do. Um, first of all, I want to thank you for all the work that you do. Uh, these seats are designated. Some are appointed based on certain occupations and, and community interests and what have you. I sit in a labor seat, um, and as a result, I deal with hundreds and hundreds of complaints all the time, discerning those that have merit from those that do not is not an easy task and I, I can only imagine the amount of work that you go through to make those decisions so thank you for that um, and and I understand the referral of complaints once there is a finding or determination of a complaint with merit that it gets referred um, what is so, what is less clear is so when you say these are closed this is a closed complaint what does closed mean means that our investigation has concluded we're no longer performing fact-finding and that we've reached a conclusion about whether corrective or preventive action needs to be taken and made that recommendation to the appropriate body if it's a department if it's the ethics commission if it's the PD you have made that referral and and it's that action of the referral that that lands it as a uh, in the category of closed Correct. So when a complaint is referred to a department and the department has jurisdiction yeah. over it, we yeah. wait for confirmation from that department that they've received the complaint that has been assigned. If we have complaint and contact information, we put them in touch with the person at the department investigating the complaint. So those are complaints that are, you know, under the jurisdiction of another department. When a complaint yeah. is with the controller's office and it's within our jurisdiction, uh, we, we or the department assigned is, performs the appropriate fact-finding and determines if corrective or preventive action needs to be taken or if no action needs to be taken. Yeah. And, and it's a very, very important role that, that the whistleblower program uh, fills in the workplace. Just, I mean, there are a lot of uh, different instances. Some rise to a level of a grand jury. The vast majority uh, do not. Uh, and so for there to be a mechanism by which there can be some sort of uh, attention to call to those incidents that would not otherwise have happened is really important in the workplace. So thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Any other questions, comments from the committee? I hope not because we're really up against time. Okay. <laughs> All right. Public comment then. Dr. Derek Kerr, a whistleblower. I'll be using the overhead again. Um, the annual whistleblower program report states that complaints that, quote, appear immaterial or insignificant from a monetary or operational standpoint may be referred to the city department involved for investigation, unquote. 
So how many complaints are immaterial or insignificant? We don't know because the whistleblower program does not disclose how many complaints it refers back to the offending department. Therefore, we don't know how many investigations are conducted independently by the whistleblower program or stated differently. We don't know the ratio of significant to insignificant complaints something that indicates the quality of the complaints received and the value of the program itself. Now, Navex Global is an international consortium of whistleblower hotlines and compliance agencies. This is their um, 2015 report, the most recent. They show a substantiation rate for whistleblower complaints of 41%. Our program is 26%. Internationally, they're 50% better at, at uh, getting substantiations. We don't know if our low rate reflects departmental self-investigations or whistleblower program investigations. We don't know if departmental self-investigations account for the 8% of cases that drag on for more than six months. Self-investigations by departments invite bias, cover-ups, and retaliation. So we should know what proportion of whistleblower complaints are referred out for investigation. Uh, a brief word about retaliation complaints. Uh, this year's Navex Global Report. Found 26% substantiation of retaliation claims, whistleblower retaliations, 26%. Our Ethics Commission, 0% for 20 years in a row. Thank you very much. I'll give this to uh, Committee Member McNulty. Okay, um, that brings us to item six. Item six, opportunity for committee members to comment or take action on any matters within the committee's jurisdiction. A, the GOBOC annual report, B, construction audits, pardon me, and C, other issues as time permits. Um, Mr. Chair, can, yeah. can I ask a question? Is item five an action item? It is not. No, it is not. Okay. All right. So, um, A, under discussion of other items are, are the GOBAC annual report. You have a draft copy of it in your package. Does anyone have any questions, comments on that? Because otherwise, I think we're going to send it in. Chair Larkin, if I just might uh, remind the committee, uh, we did have a late addition, the CSA liaison report, that is not included in this draft because it wasn't available at the time of mailing. Uh, you might want, and I, so I sent that all of, to all of you in an email for your preview. You may want to make a motion to include that in this report. I so move. 
So moved. Second. Second. All right. All, all in favor of including that in the annual report? We need to take public action. We need public we? comment. All right. Public comment? I hope there's none because we just don't got the time for it. All right. And we don't have public comment. All right. So that's what we'll do. That motion is carried. Uh, we, we all agree to that. Correct. I didn't want to preempt further discussion. All right. Um, construction audits. Um, excuse me, Chair, once more. So do you, are you saying that also upon including that additional item that you also agree to move this item forward? I think that's what we said, that, that including that and on the basis of that inclusion, we'll send in the report. on the website prior to the meeting and if not how could you be approving something that was not available to the public in advance I can double check that but I'm I'm pretty sure it was on our website all right um, the construction audits I'm gonna say mea culpa I didn't read them could we carry this item through to the next meeting? So if I have anything to say about it, we could discuss it then. I think that the construction audits are important and I agree that we would postpone it until we have time to discuss Okay, it. good. So more of next item, next meeting agenda, could we have that under the discussion of other items or on the agenda somewhere? I don't care where, just as long as we have time to get to it. And other issues then? Anyone else want to bring something up? I know there was a talk, uh, Larry, you were talking about I, I have, televising. I have a couple of, of, of quick things to put on future agendas. Uh, I, the question of whether or not we should vote to approve the CSA annual work plan was raised by a member of the public. I think we should put that on the agenda, have a vote to approve the work plan. Particularly, I note, uh, the need to include more public input and other things. Secondly, I have a question about whether or not we want to uh, explore televising the big OBAC meetings as other city departments are. This, we're now handling over $2 billion in bond oversight. Uh, it's a, a significant part of what uh, the city expects, and I think that uh, uh, having that televised is, is uh, at least as worthwhile as the other city departments. So just to explore that as an item for the agenda. Okay. Um, and I'd like to know uh, whether or not uh, the uh, a report back on the bond underwriters and whether or not San Francisco has a law similar to other jurisdictions that bans underwriters from making contributions to the people who approve their contracts. Um, I've made, I've noted those items, uh, and I know you'd like to discuss them. I do have another piece of information in regard to the construction audit. Um, the gentleman who did the audit flew in today, especially to make this presentation. If, if I might, I, this says we were till 11.45, so I'm not, what's the time? Oh, I'm sorry, I was yes. thinking 11.15. No, 11.45. And it's, it's right there, okay, good, well let's, by all means, hear the presentation. My bad. <laughs> okay, so now what we need to do is we are going to reopen 6B construction audits. Good. That's right there. Tanya Ledesu, um, Director of City Audits at 
the controller's office. So today we have David Batter, managing partner at Cummings Construction Management, whose firm is part of our construction audit pool. And so he will present the highlights and results of the two GOBOC, I'm sorry, GEO bond expenditure audits we issued in July of 2016. So um, David and his team, they're experts in construction services auditing, and they actually completed our first series of audits related to GOBOC geo bond expenditures which is consistent with CGOBOX mandate and the primary objective of these expenditure audits was to determine whether funds were spent in accordance with the ballot measures and according to our government auditing standards audit organizations such as ourselves may enlist the use of specialized experts such as construction experts and technicians which we do to address the audit objectives and CSA used Cummings fieldwork results as a basis and support for developing the audit memoranda which adhere to government auditing standards. So in developing our geo bond expenditures audit memos for these audits, we specifically wanted to clearly and concisely report on the main objectives of the audits by summarizing Cummings relevant results in our memos. And there were two observations that were outside of the primary audit scope and objectives, and we issued a separate memo, a management letter to DPW, and have asked the department to consider the results and recommendations to be applied in future work as appropriate. And I'd like to say that DPW is currently determining next steps. In addition to the audit recommendations that were born from this audit, we, CSA, will follow up as normal in 6, 12, 18, 24 months or until completion of the recommendations implemented within the departments. And um, if you have extensive questions of CSA as it relates to ongoing work or work to be done in the next fiscal year, we'll, we'd be more than happy to come back at a later date and discuss that more in depth with you. So at this time, I'm going to turn, turn it over to David. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. All right, good morning, sorry. Um, so, I'm going to be very brief. I know everyone wants to get out of here, um, but the construction audit is obviously uh, very important. Um, a little bit about our firm. We are not an audit firm. We are a construction management firm. 525 folks. We live and breathe cost schedule and project management. That's all we do, both public and private, uh, both domestic and international. Uh, we've done a bunch of these audits. Uh, this is pretty straightforward, as you all know. Um, the uh, scope of the audit, did I skip something? The scope of the audit, um, we originally evaluated all 10 major bond programs, and then um, it was up to city staff and DPW to pick the, the best three to start with. Um, and as you all know, we started with the, the um, earthquake safety, which is essentially the public safety building and a whole bunch of fire stations. 
and then uh, road improvements, and the third audit, which we are probably 95% complete, we're at the exception stage, is the um, hospital rebuild. In essence, uh, our audit consisted of two basic tests. Were there any funds contracted for or expended for something beyond the scope of the original intent of the bond? per the actual language of the bond documentation? And secondly, was there any G&A expenses or normal overhead expenses uh, expended by DPW that should have been just um, applied to overhead? We followed five simple audit tasks. Uh, we did use JO uh, um, process, if you will. The first task was is we asked for uh, with the financial department of DPW, all of the basic documentations. That's contracts, change orders, ad services, purchase orders, invoices, and then internal charges for DPW staff. Um, once we did that, we set up a introductory meeting. Uh, we used really as our guiding tool um, the budget cost report created by the department. Um, and that's, you know, several thousand line items, if you will, a whole bunch of money. Um, and we used that to highlight um, where we were going to investigate. In some cases, we investigated each and every line item. For instance, for a large general contract, we looked at all the change orders and all the change order language, including some of the backup. Uh, in some cases, uh, we did a sampling, anywhere from 10 to 50%, depending on what we were seeing. With that, we actually met with DPW staff and city staff, and we laid out a timeline um, and started requesting the documentation. And we used basically one key person from our office and one key person at DPW's office to find all the documentation. Uh, most of it was electronically stored. From that, we created a draft report. It's pretty voluminous. Um, we basically followed a, a protocol of what, our, what the document was, what the entity, the expenditure, uh, the tests, and then if we saw something. If we saw something, we called it an exception. That doesn't mean there was anything wrong with it. We, we felt it should be looked at closer. Um, the exceptions might be um, internal charges as well as maybe wording on a change order. Again, following the two tests. Was it something out or in scope of the bond intent and could it potentially be an overhead cost uh, that should have been charged elsewhere. Last but not least, we worked hand in glove with uh, the city and TPW's folks and we worked that list of exceptions down. Uh, just to give you an order of magnitude, there's literally thousands of line items. Um, um, it's about $1.2 billion that we're auditing there was 30 some odd exceptions, potential exceptions in the first audit, about 50 in the second, and at the hospital, um, I think we're at 10. Um, so our findings are pretty simple. From a, from a intent of the bond, squeaky clean. We found literally one exception that needed to be recharged. Uh, it was a, a, about $100,000 that was spent rolling out Microsoft Project Enterprise. It's a project management software. Um, and that had been allocated to some of the projects. And so once we found that, that was recharged back into general uh, and administrative funds. Um, 
everything else, all the exceptions, literally cleared. And that got us to a set of recommendations um, and observations, which Tanya has already addressed the observations. Basically, our one recommendation was um, at the outset of the bond programs, uh, the discovery work that goes into establishing a project that's pre-planning, that's hiring early architects for master planning, that's budgeting. Some of that work um, we found could have been better defined early on. It's really difficult to do, by the way, very difficult when you're looking at a whole bunch of potential projects. Uh, but with that, DPW actually in 2014, um, with the, the companion project of the 2010 ESER program, actually established guidelines. And so through the course of, I believe it's this fiscal year, Tanya, um, those guidelines are being applied to the balance of the bond program. So there will be better controls prior to the pre-bond expenses that will ultimately be abated into a bond program if it passes. And obviously if it's not, then it goes back into general and administrative uh, costs. And uh, that's it, if, if there's any questions. I, I have a question on, on that finding, uh, should finalize and implement a pre-bond reimbursement guideline. This is a guideline only with respect to pre-bond costs? Yes, sir. And you, has DPW submitted that guideline? Is it a written document? It, it, it's a, it's a basically a guideline for, that is project specific. And so the next steps is Does to, it deal with pre-bond reimbursement? It does, so, for the 2014 ESER. So I'd like to see that, if you could uh, send that to me. I don't know if anybody else on the board, but I would like to see that guideline. And, mm -hmm. and then I can see how it relates to pre-bond costs. Okay. And then second, uh, so you, you said you're not an audit firm, but a construction management firm? Yes, sir. So, but you do do audits. Do they comply with any audit standards? Absolutely. We, we, we have auditors on staff. Right, but what standard do you use? Generally, uh, JO, so government standards. And you, you say you're at the ex reporting the exception stage on, on the general hospital program. That's correct. So we'll hear more about that at some later time. Uh, I'm assuming yes, if I'm brought back, yes. Okay. And I have that to look forward to. Okay. And just, I would like also to see the, the management letter, and then I understand that the department is preparing a response, but they haven't submitted that yet. We'll ensure that you get a copy of the management letter, and yes, the department is preparing a response. I have a meeting with Director um, Nuru on next week with his team and himself. So they are well aware and on board. And as a matter of fact, as it relates to um, the benchmarking um, item that's in the management um, letter, on Thursday their team is meeting internally. So it was something that they had already begun to think about. And when we sent the observation letter, it's just catapulting it forward. I don't. Uh, a member of the public spoke earlier about findings that I, I'm presuming were in the management letter. I don't so know, they, but they seem somewhat 
sig significant. And so that's why I'm curious because if those are true, it kind of begs the question how we can comply, how virtually 100% of the costs were in compliance with the bond authorization if, but you know, I think maybe we wait that till next meeting and, and we see the response because, uh, yeah. Okay. I, I can feel the question. Yeah. Um, so our scope was to follow specifically the two tests, you know, whether their expenditures were in compliance and or whether any general or administrative costs. Our observations, which were, were asked for, were more looking at best practices and including, you know, benchmarking um, internal costs was one of the things we looked at. I'd just like to make a final comment, and I think that this is directed to the both of you, but Tanya, I think that uh, I think this is the first time that the committee has actually engaged in something like this. Yes. And uh, I think that based on um, your initial findings, um, kind of 99 percent, I think that this gives, at least it gives me as one member, um, further comfort and a higher level of confidence that we as a committee were doing something directly engaging, you know, an audit of the expenditures. So I think that I'm pleased um, we started to do that, and uh, I think that the discussion is we will try and um, devise some kind of a program to rotate and do this so that they, this committee continues to receive this level of confidence um, in regards to the, the actual expenditures. And David, I, I, your other comment, you were tasked to do two specific things, which you reported in, in this statistical report. I think that um, uh, addressing my um, uh, a member Carlson's comments, uh, generally I, I kind of started life in the audit world. I think the management letter and um, additional commentary I think is valuable because while you are there, you did these two tasks, you reported on these two tasks, but while you are there, you're in a position to observe certain suggestions that may improve either in operation controls. So to me, that's really more bonus and for your information. Right. So um, maybe Tanya, you can confirm that. You're correct. And so in the audit world, we, it's customary to be able to observe and it's out of scope and to be able to present a management letter of observations and that's exactly what we did and that's why we separated the two. We wanted to answer the question that was posed to us on your behalf yet we observed two things and we wanted those two things to be noticed and addressed and have a dialogue around them to determine how could we go better, how could we go forward as a city department, as a city government to implement something around these two items. Thank you. And I think we need to give the department an opportunity to look at that and to respond. All right, I wanted to share something that Brenda and I heard from in our meeting with Maura last week, uh, the pre-meeting that we had, where Ben told us that among the things that he has learned, as you guys have been conducting the report, is vis-a-vis -vis the pre-bond reimbursement approval process, there is no universal way that the city has, no process for doing that at this point. So. Some of these numbers 
the fact that it hasn't been happening yet or may not, it may seem a little haphazard is because it is. And I guess the process is going to be developed at, at some level. Is, is, is that what you understand then? Correct. Tanya? And so that's the value of auditing is even though we're looking at one thing, we see other things. And, you know, our goal is to add value to the processes in city government and to help city departments identify those things in a uniform way and begin the dialogue. And sometimes they've already begun the dialogue mm -hmm. internally, and we've just brought it forward in a greater way. And they are continuing to move. And together, collectively, we work from an independent vein to push things forward. Mm -hmm. And I think they will be successful at doing that. Everyone wants to do well. Sure. And I think this, the, the fact that the process is maybe, or there was no process, or whatever process there was is pretty sketchy, is not a reflection so much on the projects themselves, but just the state of the process more in the Exactly. Again, I think we can safely say this. Um, as a city, we do many things well. We get them done because it's our job to get them done. And sometimes we don't always have a uniform process that's documented that we're all following at, at once. And so we, we get better at that. That's what happened. <laughs> that's Mr. what we'd Chair, like to happen. Yeah. I've got a couple of questions quickly. We received a written correspondence earlier today that made an assertion that Cumming observed a $12.3 million Bureau of Architecture labor charge to the public safety building. And I want to determine, is that accurate? Did, did, did you observe a $12.3 million DPW Bureau of Architecture labor charge? And if so, was it later attributed to be an appropriate expenditure, or does it remain uh, as a non-chargeable expenditure? Yeah, I, I won't get precise to decimal points on the dollar amount, but I do recall there was um, a fairly large um, labor charge, and okay. yes, it was actually appropriate. We tracked that all the way down. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm just hoping that uh, along the way here at a future meeting, we have a, a discussion about lessons learned, because I see that in some cases uh, costs have uh, exceeded what we expected them to be in part because uh, material costs have gone up over a period of time and in part because uh, the community process in some cases took longer and cost more uh, and there are ways that we can learn from those things and build those into future efforts. And I would definitely agree and, the, and we as city employees, city departments, leaders definitely agree to that. And as we continue to move forward and we do processes, we're researching and benchmarking against best practices, we, the city at large endeavors to move in a, in a lean manner and ensure that we really are, um, that we are meeting the gold standards. That's one of the things that our Chapter 6 departments talk about, the gold standards in construction management and how do we do that. That's why there are several different methodologies that are being used and tested throughout our different construction um, projects. So we will definitely have lessons learned. And, and I'll just add that uh, in two of the bond funds that have closed out, the Laguna Honda and the library, we did have a very specific, in both of those, uh, as part of that closeout presentation of uh, lessons learned that was, I thought, effective. Yeah. 
I'd, I'd like to hear it, especially about the latter of the two things that, that Larry mentioned, you know, the, the public involvement process. I mean, public involvement, San Francisco is intensive on public involvement process. And I'm not to hear saying it's not, I'm not here to say it's not a good thing, but the question is, is it a good enough thing for, to justify the costs and time and money involved? So I'd love to hear the lessons about Yeah, I just, a, a, a historic footnote. I know that uh, when Ed Harrington was the controller, he asked for the uh, bond measures in the future to take a, a closer look at uh, pre-bond planning and scope so that it could be more accurately uh, determined in the future. I'd be interested to hear how that's worked out since then. Thank you. <clears throat> One of the things we have now that we didn't use to because of this dynamic is a, a general fund, capital fund that can be drawn on for planning before a bond is sized. And um, that's been a feature of the budget now for some years. And <clears throat> it sounds like just as the, the follow up on this, we'll circulate the reimbursement guidelines that have been developed to you all and include it, I guess, in a packet for your next meeting. And that can help fill out your understanding of it. That. We'd appreciate that. All right. Um, public comment? All right. General public comment. So I, I think, uh, Deputy City Attorney Ken Ruth of the Chair, so I think what we're doing now is we'll take public comment on 6B, then we'll reopen 6C. Have finished your conversation oh, there right. and then take public comment on that. So I think we're taking public comment on 6B now. All right, public comment on 6B. Hearing none, 6C. And we've spoken a little bit about, Larry, you mentioned a couple of things. What do we need to do at this point? I mean, he, Larry wants to agendize some things. Is okay, so we can agendize for the next meeting the items that, that Larry mentioned. Also, uh, Mr. Drattler did a double check and the draft annual report was not posted this time. So we'll bring it back next time for approval. Okay. So it's, it's purely ministerial. It's just that under, under uh, the uh, public meetings law act, we need Sunshine. to have, has to be, there, there's a principle called simultaneity. That is when members of the committee or the board get items members of the public need to get them at approximately the same time. So, so anyway, it is. And it, it when it comes back, it'll be the complete. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So are we uh, another chance for public comment? No, our public comment was at, at, the, at the outset. Is that correct? And <laughs> Jerry is done too. All right. Well, uh, a motion to adjourn. Mr. Chair, before we adjourn, oh. can I ask a question? So on 6A, did we take an action? Do we have to rescind it? Didn't we just say it, it's had to be Sun's challenge? It wasn't. And as a result? Correct. Well, there's no, I mean, the, the action we took has no, um, it's oh. void. It's, it's ultra virus. We had, it has no action because it's outside the scope of this committee's ability to act. So we'll just have to bring it back. Very good. Fundamentally flawed. The law is the law. Very good. <laughs> All right, then a motion to adjourn. So moved. Second. Second by Brenda. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Then we are so out of here. Out of here. Aye. Then we are so.